the West Coast, the East Coast, and deep in the heart of Texas, it's the Geek at Arms podcast with Brian, Mike, and James. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of the Geek at Arms podcast, a podcast came squarely at the crossroads of geek culture and Christian faith. I'm James, and as always, my two buds, Mike and Brian, are with me. Gentlemen, it feels like it's been a while. Yeah, yeah, it has been a hot minute. Seems like we just did it just a couple of weeks <laughs> ago to me. We did something a couple of weeks ago, like off recording, but, you know. Oh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. The time goes by faster and faster these days, right, it seems like. Right, yeah, yeah. Especially the daylight, given that it's, mm. you know, it's 4.30 and it's full dark here <laughs> yeah. in Boston. So, but, you know, like, hey, 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 that's, that's, that's fine. <laughs> It's it's fun. daylight savings, time zones. <laughs> that little maneuver is going to cost us a full hour. You know, I don't think that anybody's actually saving daylight. I'm pretty sure there's a some sort of Bond villain hoarding it somewhere. That actually, yeah, there's definitely a daylight deficit at some point. This actually sounds like a a, a fair. <laughs> I just no, I'm just thinking. You know, now that now that we have this daylight deficit and we've got a Bond villain somewhere. This is a setup for a roll for shoes scenario. I think that we're going to have to make that happen. <laughs> you live to time another day, Mr. Bond. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense, but then again, neither does a lot of what happens in the James Bond verse. I mean, really, it does not. <laughs> well, let's get Geek Out kicked off. Who's going to start this episode? I'm first in the list, so I shall go first on the podcast. So I am still playing Starfield. I am still... Still not quite sure why. Uh, I did find, I did finally find a couple of engaging storylines. One of them was just Far Harbor from Fallout Four reskinned, but uh, there was there was another uh, mission chain that I I kind of enjoyed, and it actually did manage to draw a tear from me at one point. But it was undercut somewhat because all of the NPCs eyes are so just lifeless and unexpressive, even mm. when the voice acting is good. It's like, okay, I have to close my eyes because if I'm looking at your deadpan face while you're delivering this heart wrenching speech, it's just not going to work. <laughs> uh, but it's like, I tried to get into their, their outpost building thing where you, you set up an outpost and you're manufacturing things and you import stuff from other planets, but there's no way to filter the stuff that's coming from the other planets. And so the box just fills up with aluminum. It's like, I've got aluminum and adhesive coming from there. And I'd really like some adhesive, but I have 600 tons of aluminum in this box and nowhere to put it. So I can't get the adhesive without physically going to that other planet. Sorry, player. Your adhesive is in another castle. Exactly. Like there's just so many things. It's like, this was an almost good idea but I don't, did nobody actually play it? They were looking for bugs, but not actually gameplay value. It's just, after spending that much time developing the game, you'd think that at least one thing would be adequately finished, but it's not. And it's disappointing. Sorry, still. Man. But I'm still playing it every <laughs> That's, day. That's um, kind of like <laughs> my relationship with Destiny 2. Yeah, and speaking of Destiny 2, I just started playing that oh, again. Gosh. Uh, oh, Destiny 2. I thought you meant, like, that is my relationship with Destiny as well. I'm like, yeah, this just got, this just got like, existentially oh, dark, man. Like, oh, never mind. On a whole oh, new man. level. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> my fault. That's, that's on me. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, we started playing Destiny 2 again, and we have this this horrible uh, timing because if anybody else is out there is playing the game, you know, the season is about to, to turn over and they're just about to archive probably the stuff that we're playing right now. So we start and we get like a week's worth of play and then whatever it is we're playing gets removed. And I'm absolutely sure that's about to happen with the, the storyline that we're engaged with right now. Are you doing the storyline where Eris Morn has kind of become uh, a craggy looking rock goddess herself and is sending you on missions? Uh, I don't remember her turning into a rock goddess. She's surrounded by all of these ghost okay. people that she keeps talking to. Do you mean like she got turned uh, into like a, a stone goddess or like she's like a rock and roll superstar goddess? Like I, I've never played this game. I'm assuming it's the former, not the latter. enough both. both. I mean, she's such a dour and dark character, but when she starts <laughs> to air guitar, she really lets her hair down. And by that, I mean, it falls out. It just, it's a, a whole weird animation. I have no context for what you're saying, and I want to believe it even though I don't. <laughs> yeah, so I actually saw you online, oh, yeah. James, and I thought, ooh, maybe I should invite James, but I'm in the middle of playing with these other people. I don't want to just invite somebody into the middle of their game and fair without permission and so forth. Well, and, maybe at some point in the near future, we can uh, hook up together and run some missions. Because there's a couple that I've got yes, that I could really we use. We keep I, saying that. I know. We never do. But there's, I've got a couple of missions that have been on the back burner that I could really use another player to, to get through. And most mm. of my fire team from the past, unfortunately, is in the wind. Yeah. And the third item on my geek out list is macaroni salad. I didn't put it there. I, I don't know what it means. But I yeah, thought I would talk I, about I, it anyway. I, I, if I could jump in here. Um, so many possibilities. Yeah, yeah. I was making the outline, <laughs> and I put in your geek out macaroni salad. I, yeah, it just felt it just felt right. It just felt right. I mean, that's the title of the podcast now: Geek at Arms, episode fifty nine. <laughs> macaroni salad. Dot dot dot. Question mark. Two hundred and seventy three <laughs> downloads. We're like, why? <laughs> we didn't, even, we didn't even allow them to jump to the recipe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they listened to us for an hour and a half, and I thought, surely the recipe is going to be at the end of this podcast. <laughs> Zombies, what? <laughs> so, Mike, what are you geeking out about? Well, I think that the first item on my geek out is is more kind of a shout out to the Retro Rewind podcast, because uh, that's one of the things that we do around here. And I wanted to direct our listeners to episode 287, <laughs> because I was on it along with two other very special gentlemen that you may recognize uh, their voices. So uh, yeah, the three of us were on, were on retro rewind because they had invited us to talk about the fifth element. And wow, that was, that was a great night. Francisco and Paul J powers approached us and said, Hey guys, we're doing fifth element. And, and we went, shh, 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 shh. You had us at Fifth Element. Yeah, right. Though we do have a, a bit, a bit of a correction. Sorry, it wasn't. It was Francisco Ruiz and Paul J Powers dot com. You are right. correct. Yes, yeah. that's who invited us. <laughs> but I encourage everybody to go and check out that episode of Retro Rewind, even if you have listened to and really enjoyed our episode. It is such a different format that they use on their show, uh, and it was 
It was an amazing opportunity to record with them. We had a great time and we bring up different dynamics of the film than we did in our discussion. The next item on my geek out is Super Mario Wonder, i.e. Super Mario drugs are bad kids. Don't do drugs. Yeah. Don't do silly things like eat mushrooms <laughs> and they definitely won't save your life or give you powers. I mean, Super Mario has been accused of being like low key trippy before. Have either of you either played or seen cutscenes from Super Mario Wonder? I, I have not. I'm not aware of it. Oh at all. my gosh, it is wild. So, okay, they have a different premise altogether. Peach has not been kidnapped. And well, I mean Bowser kidnaps somebody because he's he's Bowser. I mean, this is there there's a repetition of destructive patterns in this guy's life. He needs a good therapist. Yeah, that's, that's his move. move. Uh, Peach is actually a playable character, which is fantastic. Uh, I will I will either pick Peach or Daisy because the princesses need their screen time, dang it. And what you need to <laughs> do is in the various levels collect wonder seeds. And some of these wonder flowers you touch to collect some of these seeds do things to the level. And I mean, like, wild things. Sometimes it's just as trippy as, okay, everything gets kind of uh, rainbow glowied while, yeah, the level basically comes apart. And platforming takes on a whole new level in in once you touch the wonder seed because something is going to change maybe you're jumping back and forth from rainbow dragons maybe you've been turned into super slow motion maybe you're just a silhouette maybe it maybe anything i don't know I, transforming into elephants is baseline for the game before you get to the trippy stuff yeah so <laughs> this is why i say it's drugs are bad kids don't do drugs uh, because it's it really is the trippiest of the Mario that has ever been released. And really, it's just good old-fashioned platforming, but it actually feels new and contemporary. They've got new power-ups. They've got new playable characters. Uh, you can, yeah, one of my favorite new power-ups is you can turn into an elephant, which the animations for that are just glorious as it is. Uh, another power-up uh, means you can blow bubbles. Uh, and capture enemies in bubbles and you can also jump on the bubbles for like extra uh extra bounce in your jump i played that game oh, back in gosh the what game was that i mean lots of them oh my gosh i bubble bobble and the little little I dinosaurs spitting bubbles 99 levels and you get to the end of it and it says it was all a dream you get to do it again and Chris and that I was super did. mario brothers 2 i hated that game so much oh, i mean gosh yeah well, and also Link's Awakening. Like, there's so much that was always just a dream. And it's so unsatisfying almost every time they do it. Why do they keep Much doing like that? this podcast, listeners, it's time to wake up now. <laughs> because they get twice as much game for the same amount of money. Yeah, but Super Mario Wonder is the, the layout of the game is different than most Super Mario games. You can, you can expect a linear progression and level one is going to be easier than level two which is easier than level three and so on until you're just white knuckling all the way through level eight but this one has different uh, basically different difficulty levels within each level 
and they're rated as one to four stars in difficulty. Four stars being the most difficult difficulty. And it's made, and also the levels are kind of non-linear. So there's one or two that you do in order, but the rest are kind of go at your own, uh, go in your own order. And I think that that sort of non-sequential play along with the variable var difficulties within each level is, is a new added bit of spice to the franchise. And my family hates the four stars, but most of them I love. <laughs> See, I picture it like one star and everything is easy. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, the first level of Super Mario Brothers back mm -hmm. in the 80s. Mm -hmm. And level four is the first Goomba you come across pulls a gun and shoots you in the face. Uh, that's it's, only, yeah, only after you get the Wonder Seed. It's like Grand Theft Mario. <laughs> Grand Theft Mushroom Kingdom. <laughs> Some of that is, I mean, it's not exactly pulling a gun, but some of it, you're not, you're not far off. The, the weird thing is sometimes it's like super duper cheery, juxtaposed with maddening difficulty. Like all the piranha plants are singing to the music of the level. I mean, when I said this, I think it's trippy. It gets trippy. <laughs> See, and the more you describe this, it sounds like Super Mario Fantasia. Yeah. Yeah. Not only do they sing at you, but when they're done with their bars, they get up and walk off screen. I mean, granted, t right at you, and they will kill you if you touch them, but still, wild. I mean, hey, I'm down for it. Okay. The next thing on my geek out is uh, Scott Pilgrim Takes Off. Have either of you seen this thing? I Not actually yet. binged it over the past week. Oh my gosh. It is super bingeable. Yep. I uh, do we spoil it for Brian? Because you want me to take off. No, my that's headphones? okay. No. I, I'd rather you don't. I'd rather spoil it for you. Scott, I'll say this. <laughs> no, Scott I'm not. Pilgrim is an alien. Scott Pilgrim is an alien. Uh, he an alien from the planet Zeist. Uh, he was. Yeah. <laughs> After defeating all the evil exes, um, the grand evil uh, uh, named uh, Cantata, not Katana in this one, but Cantata, sent back more evil exes. I don't know. How do, how do we even get to Highlander 2 from here? That's my <laughs> fault. There can be only one Scott. <laughs> right. Or Which actually does, does figure into this movie. Oh, right. Okay. So... What's kind of frightening is the number of times that we do get tied into two on this podcast. <laughs> we don't plan uh, that. I yeah, I think I saw it once on video back in the eighties and still haven't gotten over it. Anyway, uh, Scott Pil <laughs> Scott Pilgrim takes off. If you've if you've seen the movie, please scratch that. If you've if you've read the graphic novel, have either of you read the graphic novel? No, I only watched the movie with, uh, what was it? Who, who, who was playing Scott in that live action movie? Michael Sarah. Yeah. And... He still voices Scott here. Okay. Yeah. Actually I did yeah. see that almost everyone who was in this series was voiced by the person from the live action movie. Right. Which I wasn't really crazy about the live action movie. I thought that if there was going to be an adaptation of Scott Pilgrim, it should have been done in this style of Scott yeah. Pilgrim takes off. Yeah. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I liked their voice performance better than I liked their live performance. See, I thought that the, that the voice performance of the individuals who were in the live action was 
I, I thought it was hit and miss. I think there were some that were clearly have had their the majority of their experience on the screen, and that showed that they they weren't quite used to bringing the same level of dynamics to the mic that they are when they're in an environment with other actors, which that is what that is. I still thought it was phenomenal. And without getting too spoilery, this is not Scott's emotional journey. We get his character development and his emotional journey in, in the, in the graphic novels, which I mean, it's, that's the original source material. They have the most time to explore and unpack in that medium. And I think that's where you really want to go if you want to see Scott's character development. This was very much focused on Ramona's story and Ramona's personal development. And I think that's a good thing. I think it stands in, I think it stands very much in contrast to the movie and uh, in the graphic novel but it gets to be its own thing just as those other pieces of media get to be their own things. Would you say that's fair, James? Oh, you've not read the novel. I'm familiar enough with the source material that I would mostly go with that. So gosh, as much as I would love to spoil this, it's, it's only because I, I, I love you, Brian. I, I was about prepared to tell the listeners, skip ahead <laughs> while we tell you Ramona dies six minutes in. Uh, no, just kidding. Um, <laughs> It's her emotional journey for eight episodes being dead and all. <laughs> but That's where the aliens come in. Well, you know, given the uh I could see how they could still do that, yeah. honestly. No, that's <laughs> it wouldn't be the first show that started somebody's emotional journey after they're dead. I mean, Harry Potter had him dead for partway through the last book, which you know, he could have spent more time dead. That would have been okay. I mean, not like forever, just you know, <laughs> more. And the last item on my geek out is the new Doctor Who special. Oh, yeah. Yes, I watched that just a couple of days ago. How how was your experience with that, Brian? I loved getting to see uh, Tate and Tennant back together again. And uh, the the whole way he kept deflecting the who are you question. uh, (laughs) I was very, very amused by that. I'm going to pretend you didn't ask that question. Right. I, I enjoyed it quite a lot. I'm glad to see them both back. Oh, gosh. I, that was my favorite doctor and companion combination. And so at first when I saw they're bringing the two of those back, and I'm like, oh, come on. How could you possibly? Do you know what? I don't care. I mean, wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey, I, I, I really don't care. Uh, and I've absolutely adored the audio dramas that the two of them have been in together as the Donna and, doctor, uh, Donna and the Doctor. Uh, those were set during the Wayback season, and now this is obviously uh, forward in the timeline. But I would say that in the most cynical read that you can give this is that it is the the writers and producers trying to signal to the audience, no, we can still be the old new Doctor Who and give you what you love because we've heard you that you didn't like the last couple of seasons. So we know what you like and we know that it's Tennant and Noble or it's Tennant and Tate. So we're going to give you Tennant and Tate and you'll come back to us again, right? And I said, (laughs) absolutely. (laughs) I was very shocked to see it on Disney+. Plus. And listeners were not joking. They got distribution rights. 
for that wow. in the U.S. I don't like. Eh. Yeah. Now, is it just Tennant and Tate, or is the director who directed them during their time? Did he come back as well? Russell T. Davies. Davies, wrote thank you. At least the first one. I know that the the second one dropped today, as of the the recording of this episode. So I'm assuming that they're keeping some of the old writers, or they've brought in a new the old writers, because I. <laughs> as much as I absolutely adored Jodie Whittaker's performance, I kind of feel like the writers didn't deserve her. <laughs> so I don't want to, I don't want to go mm. too far into what I didn't like, but. Yeah, I totally agree with you that I liked, I liked Whittaker's performance so much and disliked the stories that they gave right. her so much more. I, yeah. I thought it was a it really cheap. I was, my yeah, my, my last experience was that they had the third season of Whitaker, and I'm like, okay, yeah, Whitaker's out by season. And this is when the only the first episode had been released. <clears throat> and so I saw that, uh, I saw what they were doing for the first episode, and I'm like, okay, well, that's fine. I don't really like what they're doing with this, and it's a two-parter. Okay, fine, I'll watch the second one. Oh, still the same story for the third. They're doing a three-parter. Oh my gosh, this entire story is this whole season with this thing that I don't have any interest in. And I I watched it all anyway because I bought it. And then I said, I'm done. Like, I'm just, mm -hmm. I don't care. Mm -hmm. I don't care what, who does. I love Whitaker. Chibnall, uh, he was a longtime fan of Doctor Who, and he was really ecstatic to get his hands on the property. And I can only guess that he and I loved different things or that he found challenges writing some of some of the stories. Um, it just I know that a lot of people like it. Hats off to you. I, it just they just didn't connect to me. Um, and so I was sad to see Whitaker go. And I'm like, that's fine. I'm probably not going to pick up the new Who. Because I'm just tired. And then Tate and Tennant came in, and I'm like, I can't not. They're too good together. And the, the writing was exactly back to the wonderful, whimsical. Uh, it's it's cheesy in all the right ways, uh, and I, I, I liked it. And at the same time, did you know that they've got the, the old classic Who available for free on Tubi what? now? What? Like all the way back to the first doctor. All wow. the way back. Yeah. Those are kind of fun. There's only so many of those I can do in a row. Yeah, that's a hard thing to binge. Yeah. <laughs> it's a different pace back then. <laughs> no, you have to watch all of them, you know, first through eighth doctors no. just all in a row. I'll See, that sounds like something that a person would do to write a really weird master's thesis. And I mean, I'm going to yeah. binge all, all of Doctor Who from the classic till now. That sounds like something that a grad student would have this brilliant idea. Ooh, I'm going to get an excuse to just watch Doctor Who for the next three years of yeah. my life. And then they spend the next three years of their life intensely regretting that decision. Oh, my gosh. What have I done? Here it is, uh, Social Expression stop. Through the Lens of Doctor Who by Margaret P. Whitman uh, is part of Cambridge. Yeah, she was at Cambridge. Co no, I'm making all this up. Oh, okay. no, this is not, it's not real. Somewhere around season four <laughs> and a half, she was like, what have I done? I need to quit this. Wait, what do you mean I got funding? No. 
but that's it for me and my geek out. Well, all right. Uh, once again, uh, my family took a vacation to Branson uh, this fall. Now, we went in the spring, but we found that it was easier and cheaper to buy a couple of season tickets than to buy day passes for all five of us. So hmm. that enabled us to go back. And Joy and I have always wanted to go to Branson during Christmas time when they have the entirety of Silver Dollar City bedecked in lights. You it know, absolutely beautiful. That kind of um, scares me, though. It sounds like going to Branson for Christmas would be like going to Salem for Halloween. But, you know, not as bad as you would think. Now, <laughs> okay. the day that we spent at Silver Dollar City, that one was very busy. But it was also the Sunday right before Thanksgiving. So a lot of people had just gotten, you know, vacation started. Uh, uh, kids were out of school. So it was a bit crowded. But the weather was decent, a little cool, but we had coats and gloves and hats. And there was hot chocolate abound everywhere. And we had fun. One of the most enjoyable moments was as the sun was going down, they had the giant tree at the front of the park. They did a tree lighting where uh, the tree lit up in computer-controlled LEDs along with a soundtrack and these moving pictures all across the tree choreographed with the music. It was a lot of fun and enjoyable. Just a fun time. It's something, we, like I said, we've always wanted to do. Will we do it again? I don't know. It, was, it might just be a one-time experience. We'll definitely go back to Branson and Silver Dollar City. But because of the cold and a little bit of... Uh, sporadic bits of rain means we were limited in what rides we could go on and so i think next time we go it'll be more of a summertime venture so that way we can take advantage of the water rides and the kids will enjoy that a bit more like um, yeah in missouri you don't you don't do water rides right after thanksgiving no <laughs> so uh, the next day we hit up a couple of places we've been to before uh the place called wonder works which is filled with hands-on activities, uh, STEM stations, and a whole lot of fun things for the kids to just do for hours upon hours. And we also hit up a new, well, it's been there for a while, but it was new to us, a place called the Butterfly Palace. They had a couple of different things inside. The main attraction, of course, being the Butterfly Room. Uh, you both are familiar with the uh, Tropical Jungle House at the Cedric County Zoo. Oh yeah, that place was uh, very mm -hmm. was very steamy. Mm -hmm. A little bit like that in that it was very warm and humid, <laughs> but they have to keep the temperature in the butterfly area at a certain. Both of those things they have to keep a controlled environment for them. But you go in, and there's just hundreds of butterflies in this area, dozens of species. You can get these little tubes filled with like nectar and little plastic flowers sticking out the top and stand still long enough, butterflies will start landing on your hand. And the kids really enjoyed that. My daughter was like becoming the butterfly whisperer. They were just all over her hands. And anymore, I'm like, you're going to fly away, sweetheart. <laughs> they had three children <laughs> lost this last year to exactly those causes. Exactly. <laughs> children must, we don't care about height. They must weigh above this amount to be allowed into the butterfly exhibit. <laughs> so um, also they had like a, a reptile room, which had some cool little, you know, lizards and such. And uh, they had a mirror maze, which was fun the first time I went through it, if a bit migraine inducing. But when one of my boys decided that he was going to run back through it, oh, turned no. tail, ran back, 
that became an entirely different experience. Me trying to find one of my kids while not going too deep very much became, okay, now I'm completely turned around and so is he. This is this has quickly become a horror movie and my frustration levels were starting to get very high, I will admit. And like, you know what? A way I can navigate this is if I start punching each of these glass panels, oh, the broken ones, I don't need to walk through. <laughs> The thing is, I've seen kids try to run through mirror mazes before, and they wind up running into themselves extremely hard, yeah. i.e. that mirror. Well, the light was low on purpose, and there were, like, vines hanging from the ceiling, so right at, like, eye level. I'm not that tall of a person. Mike, you'd have been blinded, not by the mirrors, but just by the greenery, the fake greenery hanging from the ceiling. Oh, no. Uh... To kind of help me navigate, I pulled out my flashlight and I just started shining it almost ground level. I'm like, okay, anything that doesn't send a reflection of the light, that's where I need to go. Yeah. So obviously I never found my son. Now we only have two children. <laughs> you have a, a bit of bread, you're tearing chunks off of it and leaving behind. Some other people kept eating them. Oh, cool. A maze and a snack. Yeah. <laughs> So obviously, we only have two children now. Uh, we lost him. He's, he's in there forever. Bird is now property of the Minotaur. Yes. So uh, just another fun trip to Branson. Um, and speaking of fun trips, I did get to take my daughter again this year to Dallas Fan Festival. Oh, yeah. A local uh, comic and celebrity convention. Uh, this time, it was, instead of having it in downtown Dallas, they had one uh, in Irving, which was much closer to my house. And the Irving Convention Center is a great place because very easy access to parking and the ability to get into the center and yeah, much easier to get in and around than the one in downtown Dallas. So we bought a simple day pass for a Friday, uh, which was much more affordable than like the Saturday or Sunday passes. And I bought early bird. So once again, we're not going on a budget, but I am looking for the best price. And there weren't really any panels that she was wanting to go to. So, and she's not really into the whole, like, I want to get a signature from celebrities. Although when we were there, we were like going to different levels of the convention hall, looking at different things. Um, like they had a couple of rooms on uh, higher floors, a room uh, giving advice to first time cosplayers. Uh, the Imperial 501st and the Rebel Legion had their own room where they were talking and meeting with people. And we saw one of the signing rooms and... Some cast members from the TV show MASH were there. Oh, uh, no specifically, way. Uh, Loretta Swit and Jamie Farr, who wow. were Hot Lips Hulahan and Klinger. And when I saw them in there, I'm like, I had this momentary urge to actually go and like pay the money and get a signature and shake their hands <laughs> and just say, hey, thank you so much for being in that show, which I have loved my entire life. You guys in that TV show are like my TV comfort food. Just thank you. But we spent most of our time in the uh, hall with all of the vendor hall and uh, had a lot of fun. Most of our time was spent at a large Harry Potter booth. Um, <laughs> I'm so glad that sentence ended Potter. <laughs> a large Harry booth? Yeah. <laughs> like, a large, like, like a large Harry, like, is this, uh, oh, is this going to be cosplay? Is this going to be, what's, no, what's it's, just a bunch, of it's just a bunch of guys named Harry. They're actually really <laughs> nice. Um, not an official one, but selling various products. And they had 
boxes upon boxes of wands. They were all in boxes that looked like they came straight out of Ollivander's. And they had, of course, uh, replica wands of all the characters from the movies, as well as a lot of wands that were just based on, like, here's a Slytherin wand. Here's a Gryffindor. Here's a wand of a person who wasn't in the movies, but they were in the books. And here's what we think their wand might have looked like. Very um, cool. They even had wands based on, like, here's one based you know, on a Nimbus Universal, 2000. Universal just did a big clearance. I wonder <gasps> if they'd just taken all of their surplus to the con. Possibly, but these did not look like they were Universal made. Oh, uh, they had the local artisanal mm-hmm. look? Yes, these look like you could also find them on your local Etsy shop. We, we spent a large amount of time there as my daughter went through every single different box looking at all the different wands and how they looked and so she could narrow it down to her top eight then her top five then her top three and sweetheart they're getting ready to close the convention we need to wrap this up yes you can call your mother to get her okay we'll facetime her to get her opinion and and we're like <laughs> did she ever buy a wand or did she get locked in is this how she's- you She's still there now, actually. This has actually been a long con that I have been playing to get all of my children out of the house as quickly as possible. You're down to one child now. Lost one in a maze. Lost one in a con. Uh, You're making a lot of assumptions there, boys. I'm really efficient. (laughs) (laughs) No, they keep finding their way back somehow. It's really aggravating. Um, For all the people who sometimes might take James too seriously, all three of my children are home and safe and sound. Uh, she did eventually choose a wand. I think she chose one that was based on the Nimbus 2000, um, which was actually a very cool looking wand. And we also she also got like a Harry Potter T-shirt, a uh, couple of other little doodads here and there. And it was once again just a fun day. As long as the prices are still very affordable like they were this time, um, we'll continue to go in the future. Very cool. And uh, for my last bit of geek out, just recently went to go see a movie, Godzilla Minus One. You're thinking, oh, another Godzilla movie. Yep, there's actually been a lot of Godzilla that has been coming out recently. The new Godzilla Minus One, there is a Godzilla TV show uh, called Monarch Legacy of Monsters on Apple TV, which I have thoroughly been enjoying. And uh, funny enough, the first teaser trailer for Godzilla X Kong, the new empire just dropped. So the fact that I'm still here recording with you guys, instead of dropping you like a bad habit and watching the trailer is a testament to my dedication to this podcast. Moving on. Well, I uh, do have a quick question though. Like is, yeah. is Godzilla minus one in the vein of Godzilla 1985 and it's set in the year minus one BC. Cause that would be something I'd go see. <laughs> godzilla in biblical times taking on the roman army they are just as effective as the classic (laughs) film godzilla versus bambi (laughs) (laughs) so godzilla minus one i've had quite a few people ask me so what's with the minus one the setting of this movie is japan post world war ii and when i say post world war ii i mean like the movie starts before the end of World War II, by just a matter of days. 
most of the movie takes place in just the weeks after it and a couple of years after it. So they are very much in the not even rebuilding. They're trying to get to the rebuilding stage. So they're at zero after everything that has happened to them over the course of the war. And then a giant nuclear-powered monster arrives and starts running rampant through the country. You're no longer at zero. You are now at minus one. That makes sense. Now, I went to this happy for another Godzilla movie, but believing I'm about to see a re-imaging of the original 1950s Godzilla. That one, of course, being very much a metaphor for the nuclear age, the atomic bomb, and more. This one was a tale of post-war survival, trauma, guilt, and acceptance. Humans are secondary, almost tertiary characters in a Godzilla movie. They don't matter. We're there for the giant monsters. Not this one. Not when the themes are World War II, Japanese militarism, Fukushima, and how cheaply and expendable Japanese lives were considered during that time. Hmm. Towards the end of the movie, I actually found myself beginning to tear up in scenes that had nothing to do with Godzilla and everything to do with the character and what he or she was going through in that moment. Without giving any spoilers, this is going to be a spoiler-free review because of how new this movie is and how much I really want to encourage people to go watch it. There are scenes which are very enjoyable, like from the kaiju lover standpoint, and there are some scenes which are very hard to watch because it very much does feel like you're watching something akin to Band of Brothers or Saving Private Ryan. It sounds like a really interesting take. I'm not going to say, I I hate when people say, oh, this redefines the genre. It's such a buzzword or a buzz phrase. It doesn't redefine the genre, but it adds a new element to the genre that, in this case, elevates it. It Um, sounds like it makes it, it sounds like it is telling a contemporary story with the models of a kaiju movie. I mean, I haven't seen it. That's what it sounds like to me. (laughs) So I'm going to go and see it again. I enjoyed it that much. What really surprised me from a production standpoint was this movie was made for somewhere between 15 to $17 million. Wow, that is a thing. Now, there were a few times that I thought those special effects, they're looking a little sketchy, but there were other times they were gorgeous. This is no spoiler because you saw it in the trailer where Godzilla is, is chasing after a wooden boat in the ocean. He's right on there. They're only a couple of boat lengths ahead of him. And as tense as that moment felt in the trailer, when you get to see it in the theaters and you see the whole situation, ramp that up to 11. The way they made that scene, the water churning around him, his face, his body bobbing up and down as he swims, really, really well done. The scenes of him going through downtown Giza, Just, I really believe that they found it cheaper to create a large atomic monster and set him loose in a recreation of Giza than digitally making him. I mean, although, let's be honest, if this was a Godzilla movie with perfect special effects, you'd be disappointed. Well, yeah. I mean, come on. 
I mean, we come from a long history of suitmation videos. There's got to be some silly stuff in there somewhere. But anyway, I am just blown away by this movie. The story that it tells, the emotions that it, uh, it invokes. And I'll be curious to see where Toho goes from here. Even if you're not a Godzilla kaiju lover, there's a lot here that you can enjoy. So give it a chance. And that will wrap it up for me for Geek Out. I don't know. Give me a call when the kaiju movie is like a romantic comedy. Then I'll do it. And not the human characters. I mean, the monsters. Gotcha. Gotcha. That was Godzilla versus Charlie's Angels that came out in 1982. I am so in. <laughs> I just looked it up. That's not a thing. I'm disappointed. How dare you be disappointed of all people? <laughs> <laughs> I have no right to say anything with how many how many lies I've told on this podcast. Exactly my point. Oh, <laughs> uh, like I don't promise not to lie to our listeners. I just promise to always tell our listeners when I have just lied to them. There's mm. there, there, there's at least some safety mechanism there. Mm. Oh, right. Anyway. <laughs> Shall we get on to our main topic? Yes. Let's not waste any uh, more time. All right. That brings us exactly to where we are with, um, are you wasting your time? And I think before we tackle this one, there's kind of a, why are we, <laughs> why are we tackling the question of, are you wasting your time? Might want to give them a little bit of a preface as like, are you wasting time with what you're doing, your hobbies, not are you wasting your time listening to this podcast? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're definitely not wasting your time listening to, to Geek at Arms. <laughs> this is time well spent. Yes. You're getting your money's worth here. Absolutely. But I didn't spend anything. <laughs> Let's not dwell on it. I, I am actually moving every one of you listeners to the top tier. So that is that is official. You are now getting just as much content for none of the money that you've ever given us, which is fine. We've not asked. But why are we even talking about the the question of, of wasting time, particularly and especially with your geeky hobbies? Uh, it's funny because in rapid succession, in two posts in Christian forums, an article on a Christian blog, and a YouTuber on uh, the Moon Channel specifically, which I highly recommend, by the way. And there were all these topics that were just sort of orbiting the question of whether a geek related hobby was a waste of time. Like is anime a waste of your time? Are game oriented ministries misspent time and uh, questions of wasting time on video games. And since there were all of these various vectors, either directly or tangentially uh, sometimes posting like apologetics videos like, no, this isn't a waste of time because, or that isn't a waste of time because, or just addressing the question directly. I thought that maybe we could just go ahead and examine this topic on Geek in Arms. And I sort of pitched this idea and I, uh, I had a lot of different ways to evaluate that, but fortunately James talked me down off of a ledge and so we'll <laughs> only be talking about three different aspects rather than having a four hour episode with some required reading, including, including Max Weber's The Protestant Ethic and the Spirit of Capitalism. We're just going to tackle Geek at Arm style as we usually do. The first component 
is kind of on a personal level. Like, am I wasting my time on on my particular geeky hobby? Like, is something, rather than tackling it on a social or theological level, which we will get to, is casting resin dice a waste of my time? It kind of depends on what would you be spending that time doing anyway? I mean, a lot of times our, our hobbies are things that we do to, to fill time that wouldn't be spent. You know, we have our jobs, we have the, our family time, whatever it is we're doing. As long as those things are being balanced, we do have other time to spend. And yeah, sure, I could, I could spend that, you know, making a little bit more money, but why? It's like, if I'm meeting all of my obligations, then my time is, is, is mine to do with, to do something that I enjoy. So I don't think, unless I'm taking something to an unhealthy degree, like I am playing Starfield, (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that it is a waste of time as long as, you know, I am meeting those obligations and this is something that's not unhealthy for me. I think those are the two main components that we should evaluate before going into any any of these other facets that we're going to explore i can answer though for me personally if i were to pick up resin dice casting i think that actually would be a waste of my time and money because for me personally especially now this isn't a waste of your time you resin dice dice making individuals please keep doing what you're doing i love what you're doing i encourage you to keep posting (laughs) pictures of that on various uh, social media and uh i i i may even buy some but i honestly could see myself starting into this is like spend doing the research spending the money which this is this is not a low price point entry into this hobby and only having the attention and space to do it a few times and then just have it sit there and do nothing. I can see the allure, mm-hmm. and you and I talked about dice making specifically, how a lot of companies make dice, a lot of people make their own dice, and you can spend a lot of time looking through page after page or box after box of dice at the game store. And none of the dice are just exactly what you're looking for. And so there's the appeal. I'm going to get the molds and the colors and and the glue, and I'm going to try this at home, and I'm going to spend all this money and all this time to make the dice that I want, but it's still going to be wrong because I messed it up. On some level. (laughs) Because you have to make a whole lot of dice wrong before you get one that exactly right. right. Now, (laughs) that being said, is that wasted time or where's the metric that says you wasted your time? Yeah. I mean, but you had fun doing it. Even if the end result was still a failure, if the journey of doing it was something you found rewarding and fun, then is it considered a waste? Just because you don't have something to show for it at the end, but some misshapen lumps with numbers on them. You've just described all polyhedral dice. (laughs) (laughs) like i i had the desire for a while like we actually discussed this on like hobbies we would like to get into on an earlier podcast and i thought it would be fun to get into miniature painting it just looks enjoyable and the end result is something cool and unique and like you mike i would want to spend money to 
you know, get get a couple or at least one specific cool miniature, get the brushes, get the paint, spend the time watching the videos, educating myself on the right way to do it, get the magnifying glass, get the little mount that you lock it into to hold it in place, spend hours tediously trying to get every little detail right, only to realize, wow, literally could have hit that with spray paint 20 feet away and it would look better. But going back to Brian's <laughs> metrics, am I meeting my obligations um, mm -hmm. or or am I obsessing to a point where it is interfering with the positive function of my life? Yep. Which is why I did not do it, because <laughs> I knew that my desire to get every point of detail correct would ruin the experience for me. Yeah. There are so I decided that I've... until I would not obsess on those points, I would stay away from it. Right. There are things that I have put down because they were not healthy for me, because mm -hmm. I, I have it within me to operate on obsession and compulsion in my hobbies. Um, but so long as you set good personal boundaries and you know when to drop something and, and walk away, then yeah. then all is well and good. And there are other things which I only had a fleeting interest in. Enough of that the whole point of me getting into it, learning more about it actually would have been a waste of my time. Like, no, I mean, I'm only my, I'm only curious enough to look up a YouTube video about it. Anything more would actually be a waste. Yeah. It's, it, have you seen the YouTube video or a short where a guy is singing about his hyperfixation and he says, I, I, you know, I've got, uh, thanks to my hyperfixation, I'm off to my brand new hobby. And he sings about watching all of the videos and, you know, doing all the research and buying all of the best and right equipment. And thanks to, uh, thanks to my hyperfixation, I'm just about ready, uh, just about to start. And then he walks up to a microphone and like yells into it. And then he walks away and he says, well, that's enough of my new hobby. Thanks to my hyperfixation. <laughs> Just, and then <laughs> sings about going to find a new one. <laughs> but that's, that's all on personal level. Um, mm -hmm. There's a different connotation on a social level with you're just wasting your time. And have any of you felt that regarding any of your hobbies or interests from either coworkers or out in the, the general social sphere? Oh, yes, definitely. And that is because of how it is viewed. Some of the things that we do are viewed culturally. Okay. So what's what culturally have you felt you've been told is a waste of your time? I actually decided a long time ago I was going to stop sharing my interests in the SCA with many people, both in my family and in my workplace, because sharing with someone that I more than research the medieval time period, but I dress up as a character or as I dress up as a person from that time period, complete with name and backstory, go to events where we recreate life back then to a degree I do sword fighting, I do woodworking, I've done blacksmithing, and we sit and eat feasts, we have court. That's just enough to get a strong, firm, huh, from many people. <laughs> and I decided it's just easier, for future interaction's sake, to just not share with them <laughs> that bit about myself. However... 
if they were to say, well, I'm going to go out for an entire week and I'm going to live in a piece of nylon and play make-believe that I am going to live off the land while buying wood from the local store, and ah, look at me, look at me as I play great outdoors at the local camping site. I mean, or, I'm not going to diss camping. I love camping. Yeah. Or I have but. spent most of my paycheck for this month to obtain a ticket to my favorite sports team in their large multi-billion dollar arena to watch them for two to four hours, screaming my head off. I'm then going to spend the rest of my paycheck to buy paraphernalia and food from this establishment at drastically, drastically inflated prices. Well, that's all fine and good. That's like, okay. That's good for them. This is the thing is that anything can sound silly when you describe it like that. And James, I think that the one place where you went wrong is that you failed to describe the sport, which if we're talking about the, the current sports thing where the Super Bowl will happen and we get to watch men in tight pants jumping on top of each other, because that's, that is what is happening on the screen. Um, you just described half the sports in the world. I mean, really, it is. I mean, any, anything anything, can be – that's my point, is that anything can be described – I, I have nothing against football. Enjoy football if you enjoy it. That's fine. Mm -hmm. But it anything described a certain way or framed a certain way can sound, can sound can. vacuous. But as I was saying earlier, culturally speaking, one of these things is not like the other. And right. one of them is not as culturally accepted as the rest. Well, and one of the reasons for that, I think, is because of the the socially endorsed hobbies, like well, sports. Well, they're good for you. They teach you. Uh, they teach you team building. They're good for your body. And that if you can run several yards and catch a oblong shaped leather ball, then many of the laws of man don't apply to you. <laughs> Sorry. That's, did I, did I, did I say that? Did I you say should that? absolutely say that because okay, yeah. I, no, um, let's, because we <laughs> covered that on our, but not so directly when we we're talking about our hero worship <laughs> episode. Yes. So still true. But back to your question about what things we do. There's a lot that we do in the geekosphere, whether it's playing video games a mm -hmm. lot. An mm -hmm. awful lot. Even if we don't want to play the game, we're still just going to play it, we'll i.e. me and Brian. Um, <laughs> uh, whether it's reenacting, whether it's studying uh, books about swords, going to our favorite, you know, geeky movies. Here's the big one. Partaking in role-playing games, whether online or around a table. Oh, I thought you were going to say rereading The Wheel of Time. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Let's um, unpack that in a minute. Like for real. But anyway. all of these are not typically things that you could share with the average person. The thing that that I find very interesting is when this idea of okay, we can't share because people don't understand it or they don't connect with it. That that I get. Like my brother in law doesn't come up and try to engage with me on football. I don't go to him and try to engage on, you know, what's going on in this latest animated whatever. But I think that we get into we get into something that I think that we should unpack and examine when we have one camp looking at the other and saying, well, that's just a big waste of time, which is a common cultural value judgment when it comes to applying to something that that you don't understand. And I, I think it's a common 
uh, mm-hmm. negative value judgment. Partly because we we in the U.S. have a very special uh, cultural relationship with time, especially as it impacts our pastimes. Wasn't sure I was actually going to share this, but I guess I will. When I was in Romania, they used to refer to pastimes, the word translates as distraction. We go hiking in the mountains for a weekend for distraction. And it had positive connotations because you need this distraction from uh, the, the mundane or the awful components of what was going on in, well, life. We would never use the word distraction positively in the U.S., especially especially as a hobby. Like if your hobby was a distraction, that is definitively a bad thing. I think we do use the term diversion, yeah, though. That is true. It's not it's not as positive a connotation as I think what you're you're saying they have in Romania, but it is less so that than if true. we called it a distraction. All right, I stand corrected on that point. Though I think that the general <laughs> that the general perception of how we regard our pastimes is we have to ascribe some value to it. Like you go to the sports arena so that, you know, because if you participate in sports, it's because it's good for your body. Or if you're reading, it's positive for you know, for for the development of your faculties, or it's seen as a reasonable exercise of your faculties. Or Knitting actually produces something, and fantasy football is in, engaged as something just as positive for reasons that I don't entirely understand. Probably, if I had to put a guess to it, the social component that comes along with it. You can't participate, mm-hmm. but you can with your friends in the office if you if you all fill out the same character sheet. I mean, sorry, the league <laughs> league sheet. <laughs> I think it's interesting because not only not only do we have those positive aspects of those hobbies, it's easy to look past the positive aspects of, of a hobby that you don't connect to and then therefore just judge it as a waste of time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the obvious uh, one to look at there is the role playing because we all obviously see a lot of value in it socially uh, in terms of the things that we learn. I mean, 90% of my general knowledge comes from doing research for role-playing games. <laughs> that is really funny. Uh, it's also true. <laughs> no, sorry. I didn't mean, I didn't but, mean know, that negative. Standing on the outside, you don't see any of that. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, but standing on the outside, if you're not seeing all of, the, all of the things that go into, all you're seeing is a bunch of people sitting around a table pretending to be wizards, and that doesn't make any sense right. to them. But you're not seeing, you know, development of my statistical analysis skills in knowing, okay, if I roll my three D6s, how likely it is that I'm going to succeed at this and so forth. They don't see all of the, okay, I need a comprehensive understanding of the political situation in Transylvania in 1883 to run my vampire game. I don't actually need that, but I did the research anyway. <laughs> I kind of feel a little bit called out and shamed because like I didn't need that for my role playing game but I still found that out anyway. Anyway, sorry, that's <laughs> neither here nor there. But uh, no, it's funny that you say that because like at first like huh, that general knowledge from recent oh, wait, shoot, he's also talking about me. Like how do I know how do I know the the early <laughs> warning signs of radiation poisoning? Oh, well, yeah, that was for that was for that campaign. Uh that was for that adventure. That was for that module. It's shocking how many uh, 
research papers in high school, I wrote as justifying the research I was doing. Oh, but that is games. really funny. Okay, but then again, you're See, having to justify. I, I just look at that as getting the most bang out of your time, you know? Right. I looked at it as avoiding my homework. Oh, that's also probably true. But I think it's interesting because there again, you put something that I think was really important. You had to justify why you wanted to do the thing. And I think that that's interesting because mm -hmm. we, because it is something frivolous, it needs justification. Just like they say, sports is good for your interpersonal development. Sports are good for your body. Is that really why you have a bunch of kids running around picking up sticks and balls and, and playing ad hoc versions of Calvin ball or baseball in the backyard? No, they're doing it because it's fun. And it doesn't, they don't, you don't. And because it keeps us out I of mean, their hair. Well, okay. That's all. That's really, really cynical, Brian. And also very true. <laughs> as, as a parent, as a parent can 100% confirm. Absolutely. I think that it's interesting that we enjoy something that doesn't interfere with the natural course of our lives or the proper productive aspects of our lives. And we need to apply some sort of post hoc rationalization that it is in some way productive. I do this. It's good for my heart. I do this because it's engaging research, which is good for my homework. It, it's it, our, our relationship with time and productivity is such that we feel the need to justify something. We that's can't fun. accept that we like something purely for the sake of liking it. There always has to be an addendum or something added on, as you said, to justify the act of doing it. And I think that that's something that we as a culture mm. really need to examine when it comes to what we enjoy and how we spend our time. And I'm so glad that Geek at Arms is going to be the pioneer in changing our cultural evaluation of, of time and productivity and hobbies, uh, which it will absolutely not. It's all on you, our 38 <laughs> listeners, to spread the word and make this cultural shift happen. Okay, I, I just applied for a media pass. I, I'm sorry, no, I'm just thinking, I just applied for a media pass to, to PAX East. So if any of the PAX East uh, reviewers are actually listening to this episode, there are more than 38 of them. I did not lie on my application. Okay, back to you, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> but even then, like, fine, we feel the need to justify it. Maybe we don't have to. But even still, there are positive aspects of even something as as individually isolating as watching an hour and a half to two hours of anime at a time, which I'm sure many of you have done more than that. I had a sick day. I binged that Scott Pilgrim thing. Anyway, I have done more okay. than that. <laughs> But we would, okay, when you would think, abs I don't know, how long is the average football game? I mean, you would think nothing of, of the behavior of sitting down and watching the game, but you take an equal amount of time of a video game or, or anime, it's seen in a slightly different light as that it's frivolous and valueless, but there still is positive value even taken in, in isolation, mm -hmm. particularly and especially these, even though the individual experience is just one on the machine, there is still a shared experience component. I 
James and I could probably talk more about Scott Pilgrim when Brian isn't listening for probably an hour. Their bond shared in <laughs> in shared experience, or at least common experience. Uh, there's also all manner of application that we can see in terms of of assessment and critique of art, plot, music, and any dynamics of these media, which is, I'm sure, has some correlations to football games in terms of examining offense, defense, and um, somebody else helped me out. I don't watch enough football. I, I should have learned when I was talking <laughs> about D&D &D and Gregory Oswald not to talk about things I don't understand. But yet again, listeners, here I am talking about something I don't understand. <laughs> Offsides. <laughs> that's about all I know. I'm pretty I, sure that's in that's 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 in equestrian arts no it's not <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry james you're gonna say i want to touch back onto like what you were saying back onto the personal aspect of time wasting whether it is football whether it is two hours watching anime whether it's uh four hours spent around a table uh playing RPGs, or eight hours trying to do a raid in a video game. That might be a bit much. Anyway. I tried some of those raids <laughs> in Destiny. It's not too much. Some of them long. do go on just a bit. And not because they're long. It's because certain parts keep killing you. Where I'm going yes. with this is that regardless of the activity or the time spent, is it a waste if you find personal edification in it? No. If, if it's not doing any damage, no. Yeah. Is it something that you found peace, enjoyment, comfort, education, any of these or more in it, then this activity is not a waste, whatever it is. Even if all it was was just to help you decompress from exactly. oh, yeah. day. Because sometimes you just need to, the chance to throw no. it all off. Yeah. Earlier in my geek out, I talked about MASH which has been that decompression show for me. Like I, I called it my TV comfort food. At various times in my life where I've been going through very stressful situations, I could turn on a couple of episodes of MASH and it would instantly improve my mood and make me feel better. Except for those one or two episodes that just totally wreck you. <laughs> I just stay away from the last season and the one where Henry Blake dies. Well, speaking of destroying you emotionally, like I... I can think of a couple of times in my life where I would have a free day and I would play video games to the point where I would feel a discontent. Like I would be stimulated, but then I would kind of have this more or less emotional crash where like, yes, I had all of these accomplishments, but they were hollow. And I found those after I had, I had reached a certain tipping point and I honestly haven't had the time to find that tipping point and since, you know, in the last 10 years, since I had kids, I think, geez. Okay. <laughs> but I think that, I think that is the <laughs> thing that if this is a, if this is a decompress moment, then you're allowed to decompress. Mm -hmm. Despite the question in, in that time that you've just spent binging Scott Pilgrim, James, Think of all the time that you could have spent winning souls for the Lord. Hmm. And now we're getting into a whole new area. That was an accident. 
No, it wasn't. You did that on no, purpose. No, I absolutely did that on purpose. Like, <laughs> and this may have been taken almost directly from one of those uh, from one of those uh, blog posts or forum posts or Q&A. This is something that, as someone who went to a Bible college, this concept got brought up every once in a while. And yeah, it's an interesting one to address. I think the first thing that raises my hackles on that is it's not our job to win souls for the Lord. If the, the scripture says that if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw them in. So our job is not to go out and make converts. Our job is to spread the word. Our job is just to present the information and let God pull them in. Yes. That that whole notch on the Bible mentality that we got a lot of in uh, uh, Pentecostalism. And I believe that there's a lot of verses which people misinterpret to build up there. You need to be preaching always. You need to be out there on the soapbox at the street corner doing this all the time. I'm thinking like, I can't remember off the top of my head, but just some of the ones I came across in like Colossians and Ecclesiastes, you know, uh, everything you do, do for the Lord and, you know, all your works for him. And I don't know. It just, this feels like it's being used for a context which is not there. Yeah, uh, I think that the the thing that gets me about the but you're doing this instead of instead of spending time uh, winning souls for the Lord has and again I'm not I'm, first of all I want to say I'm not going to say that we shouldn't uh, we shouldn't be preaching or teaching or spreading God's word and uh, making disciples of all the world uh, that. I mean, we, we are called to go out and make disciples. Yes, absolutely. It is really mm -hmm. kind of the, the crass currency that I hear in this, that if you spend an hour watching an anime, then you could have won X number of souls for the Lord instead. That this, again, is taking this social concept of productivity and interpreting it in terms of crass numbers and then applying those social lenses to the scripture and to these calls that we see in scripture. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the things that, that kind of bothers me. I, I actually went on one of the forums where this was brought up and somebody said, is should we be spending our time with these geek oriented ministries instead of you know, when they said something else, it was like it, it, something that would be more, the the impression was that it was something more productive for evangelism and conversion. And Which I reply, why not both? <laughs> why not both? Yeah, these are, these are both valuable things. <laughs> uh, and what's interesting is that when I, when I kind of said, okay, you asked a very time oriented question, let's unpack your social context of time. And then view that through the your inherited American uh, intellectual tradition and what that means and what that might mean differently to the first century audience. So like, no, but the Bible mentions time. And then they listed a bunch of, of Bible verses that do correctly identify time as being a feature, which again, I mean, they were right on their own grounds, but are you reading your cultural lens into those scriptures rather than letting them stand on their own ground, which mm -hmm. I think I decided not to press the issues, but I 
think the answer is probably no. (laughs) (laughs) But this really does mean that there is still this social pressure through which we also apply another theological lens rather than these these being two different lenses, I think. So are these geek-oriented ministries a waste of time? Well, let me ask you this. Let's mm-hmm. say that you you meet a young man <laughs> who is wearing a Wildcats t-shirt. Okay. He's looks like he just came from the comic store. Okay. You heard him talking to someone else at length about Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. Do you think the best way to reach him is to invite him to a football game and the senior men's breakfast at 7 a.m.? No, I think that the best thing to do is to hand him the Dark Dungeons Chick Tract. (laughs) (laughs) I I wish I had gotten there first. That was exactly what I was thinking. That Chick Tract actually was, I was going to bring up in a point later on. (laughs) (laughs) We were all three thinking of this thing. Yes, we were. It does kind of loom over our heads. Just a little bit. Well, I in in order to answer your question, I think that I might just hit on speed dial and ask his grace, the Archduke Mike Perna, about that. Because what I've heard from his gaming ministries is that, and the impression that I've received from him is that shared tables create bonds. That these are times when people open up that there are windows into each other's personal lives as we share experiences, we share things that are emotionally meaningful with one another. And there are windows of opportunity for ministry in those arenas. Mm -hmm. I don't do the gaming because I can leverage it spiritually, but we're there for it when it's there. And I think that those who try to do that that are using it as a means, people see through that. I mean, if it's a, just a pretext to put a Bible in somebody's hand, you know, people smell <laughs> that. But that's not what <laughs> that's not what Mike does. He's actually building real relationships, real friendships. If someone comes to Christ as a result of that, then he's obviously ecstatic. But it's not why he's doing that. He's doing it to minister, to be a servant in his community that needs people to listen to them and to tell them that they're valuable. And, you know, I think that people understand that uh, when they see that kind of love, that it is an outflowing of Christ's love. I mean, I think that when Mm -hmm. people genuinely see the source of that, that it points to where it comes from. Yeah. And you say that people can see through those sort of things pretty readily. I laughed because I not terribly long ago had an experience sitting in a, in a car dealership repair shop, with a young gentleman going through his conversion script to try to bring me to Jesus Christ. As (laughs) much as I tried for the life of me, I actually at one point asked him to put his script down and just talk to me. He was unable to do so. Uh, Oh, he's trying. He'll learn or mm -hmm. he won't. You know what? Maybe that's where I went wrong. I should have invited him to the table for an RPG. I could see that going absolutely terribly. But anyway. Reverse chick tracked him. I reverse chick tracked him. Well, and I think that's also a thing is that understanding that these spiritual dynamics also fit into um, the social dynamics. We wouldn't force the RPG experience on the gentleman going through his script just to force him out of his script. He's got to grow there on his own or not. 
there is another dimension to this that I thought I would bring up. And that's, forgive me, my, my thoughts a little disorganized here. We exist for a reason. And the reason that God made us is not to make Christians. I mean, our, our, the reason for our existence predates all of that. God made us, you know, for his enjoyment, whatever. I can't speak to the mind of God and knowing exactly what was behind all of that, but he gave us this ability to enjoy things. He made this wonderful, beautiful world for us to enjoy. I have to think that that's part of what his plan is, that he wants us to enjoy life. It's not this circular thing of he made us to fall, to make Christians, to get to the end. It's like, no, the world is meant to be enjoyed. And so if we're doing things that are bringing us enjoyment, if we're doing things that are uh, entertaining us, I think that that's part of the plan too. I mean, he knows more than any of us how hard life can be sometimes how stressful it can be and how much the want and the need for relaxation is. And that sometimes we just need to have fun and there's nothing wrong. There's nothing Mm -hmm. sinful with just wanting to have fun. As you said, Brian, he made this wild, wonderful world and he made it for us to not just go about our lives, but to go out and enjoy and everything that comes along with it. Back in college, in my scripture and ethics class, I wrote a paper about, of all things, tattoos. Now, (laughs) that was pretty, you know, out there. That was pretty wild for an AG college, (laughs) someone writing about tattoos. But I went through the history of them. I went through what they were used for. And I ended it with, look, if you want one, examine your reasons for getting it. Is the tattoo itself sinful? I don't think so. I think the reasons why you get it, your heart, your spirit, and your attitude for getting it, that is what can make it a sin. And I think that same can apply to our hobbies. Anything. Whether it's watching sports, making your your yard the prettiest one on the block, working on your car, whether it's sitting around a table and doing an activity to which one organization writes a lot of tracks about and makes a movie (laughs) on why you shouldn't be doing it. Okay, whatever, many hobbies, most hobbies, I'm going to apply that are pretty neutral. They're neither right, they're neither wrong. It is your heart and your attitude which dictates, is this a good thing? Is this an enjoyable thing, a right thing, doing it in God's eyes, or is this a sinful thing, and therefore you're wasting your time doing it? I think that that's pretty much summed up the end of the, the, (laughs) the, the spiritual component of are we wasting our time? Before we run the risk of actually wasting our time on this podcast, was there any final thoughts? We'll take it to the Christian Gamers Guild. (laughs) Well, then that will lead us to our zombie apocalypse (laughs) plan of the week. Mike, how will we hopefully not be wasting our time as we survive the zombie apocalypse this time? All right. I think that we've got a two-step strategy. One is really just finding any place with a spiral staircase Make sure that it's one of those good metal spiral staircases, very little traction. And the only thing that's really going to keep us safe from the uncoordinated shambling dead is macaroni salad. Just toss it on down when you hear them coming. It's going to make it so slippery. They're not going to find their way up. You'll be fine.
and you never know if it's the right recipe, it might just replace brains as their primary food staple. I was not planning on doing that, but you set it up for me by keeping the macaroni salad in, so... (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is going to wrap it up for this episode. I want to thank you all for listening in. Uh, Hit us up online at geekandarms.com, at facebook.com slash geekandarms, and Mike, what's our Twitter? Uh, We are ArmsGeek on Twitter, but you can also find us as Geek at Arms at both Blue Sky and Instagram. Give us a like. Leave us a review if you would. It really does help the podcast. And as always, from Brian, Mike, and James, be safe, be blessed, and be geeky. Thanks for listening to Geek at Arms. Music for this podcast was provided by Incompetech.com. For more, check us out at Facebook.com forward slash Geek at Arms. Give us a like and maybe even subscribe to us on iTunes. That would be awesome. Well, and that was an hour and a half. I'm not getting back.